Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we have Spencer Wood, who is a Paralympian from Pyeongchang. He is from Pittsfield, Vermont, a recent graduate uh, of Colorado University or University of Colorado. He is also, this is the first thing we're going to talk about. He is, his classification is LW92. Spencer, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be here. This is awesome. So, so I mentioned your classification. What, what does that mean? So a 9-2 is anybody with a disability that affects their upper extremity as well as their lower extremity. So it differs from somebody who is LW4 who just has a prosthetic that wouldn't be able to have ankle mobility. I have limited ankle mobility in my right side on top of having a spastic right arm um, with limited flexion, I guess. And, and I'm definitely on the more moderate side of the spectrum. I know some other kids in the circuit have way more of a tight, um, uh, tight arm and whatnot, but I, um, when it comes to skiing is not as noticeable when I'm tired, when I'm tired is when it's super noticeable. So, um, I've been at LW92, not the whole time that I've been in the sport, but for the past, uh, three seasons, I've been a nine, two, and it's just, it's where I should be. It's, it feels like the proper classification for myself. But nothing changed for you. It's not like you you had an injury or something. In Correct. The yeah. Um, the nine two. Uh, it's mostly for people. At least for me, it's from hemiplegia, which is a form of cerebral palsy, which I got from birth. Um, probably um, in, in utero. Sometime I had a stroke, and I have a cyst in my brain. Not really sure how big it is. Not really sure how much of an issue it is, but hasn't affected me yet. You didn't know about this until you were 10 years old. Is that true? Yeah. 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 Um, the last thing my parents wanted is for me to have an excuse to not want to do something. And actually this morning I was riding in the car with my mom and she was telling me all the times that I would trip and fall and had to go to the hospital to get stitches because they didn't know I was disabled until I was three. And it was just the fact that I didn't pick up my right foot enough when I was walking that I would start running indoors. I would trip and fall. One time I hit a wall and I, I, I have this, I have this scar right on the middle of my forehead that I had to get 18 stitches for. Um, so it was, it was a learning experience for my parents. Like we had no idea. And then Going through grade school really wasn't an issue. And then when I was in fourth grade, I distinctively remember just having a terrible baseball game. It was just so bad. Nothing I was doing was working. And I was, up until that time, I was doing everything, the exact same training methods that all my uh, teammates were doing. And my dad just kind of sat me down. He's like, there's something that we need to tell you. And um, he broke the news to me or shared the news with me that I have this disability from birth and that it affects me in certain ways. And, and I think part of the, of that was that I was starting to hit puberty. And so my muscles were changing and my tendons were growing. And so everything was just so different. And that that's where those gaps are starting to happen. 
to it's on your right side. So hemiplegia, it's, it, so your right arm and your right leg are both affected, but sort of minimal affectation. Correct. Uh, I mean, Correct. in some ways, we, we kind of saw this like in the summertime, we saw this with Nick Mayhew, right? I don't know if you watched any of the summer games, but he was a sprinter and, and was a soccer player and had a hard time with his left foot. Like growing mm-hmm. up, he had a really hard, kept training over and over to try to make his left foot good. And, and it was the same kind of thing where having a stroke in the womb led to this, this you know, weakness and, and imbalance to a certain extent on that, on that side. But same kind of thing where he didn't necessarily know until later on where yeah, you know, they, totally. they did some tests. And, and so, so at 10 years old, was that a relief? to know that this was the reason why you had had a bad baseball game? And are you, so like throwing a baseball, do you throw it left-handed? Do you throw it right-handed? So I, I didn't really catch the baseball with my right hand, but I held a glove with my right hand. And believe it or not, I, uh, I was the catcher. That was my position. Even though I, I caught like 15% of the balls that the pitcher threw, but I, I would bat righty and like playing tennis, I would, I would swing righty. So I had something about just having my, my left arm dominant in front or something. Um, not really too sure with that, but I found in sixth grade that I really liked lacrosse and that I had zero issues with my disability when I was playing lacrosse because I could have both hands on the stick and I could throw with both arms, no problem. And it was just, I could see how affected the, I was by the hand-eye coordination with that sport specifically that I just, I just really hit it off and I stopped playing baseball and lacrosse was just the right move for me. Wow. Okay. And then, but the skiing happened all the way along, right? I mean, this is like two years old. You started skiing. I, I, I love skiing. Skiing is, I used to, uh, my mom would she would put my sister and I in snowsuits and plop us in these plastic sleds and drag us across the snow piece at the bottom of Pico Mountain when and I was a year old, a year and a half old, to go to the employee daycare. And it was at daycare when I was a year, a year and a half old that I would get dressed up at lunchtime in my snowsuit and put ski boots on and skis and just kind of slide across the snow. So my both my parents were ski instructors. They met at Killington. My grandparents met skiing at Killington. Um, it's just it's it's in my blood. I don't know. I've just always ever skied to 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 feel happy. It's just such a good catalyst of doing so many things. This is the part of the culture of the family. And so totally. when did racing come into it? Did racing come into it early? Uh yeah. So uh the cutoff for being able to start the racing program was five years old. I have a January birthday, um, was five years old and they're really strict with that. But December came around and I was four, almost five. And the head of the ski club knew my parents really well because he worked with them and he was like, yeah, he can join, he can join, no problem. So right at five years old, I started and actually my first race ever I got on the podium. I got third place. So that was really exciting. But I, it took me many years later to find the podium again. So first race, you got on the podium. So this is like, 
what is it you were like a j5 or something like that or equivalent you... like a j7 almost like we weren't like there was no there was probably a few teams there maybe three or four teams there but it was not a big race and then as I started getting older and the more races kept happening and the more uh competitors and um the more physically fit people became that's when that's when I, I kind of found my place in the back of the pack so is this what part of the problem is, is that your left side can get really strong where your right side lags behind in the strength and the coordination, or how does that work? It's interesting. My Both sides are really strong, but the left side, because it's so busy picking up the slack, I guess, from the right side of, of having the spasticity, then my left side is super tight from like I my limited mobility in my left side because um, it's just been years of of just having just tight hips or something. I don't know. Um, so my main issue while I'm skiing is uh, moving like a left foot to turn that would be driving my right knee inside that is the most difficult movement for me because I have the, the place where I have the most limited feeling would be in my right pinky toe. And so to use that right pinky toe, essentially to grip on the inside edge, just to grab the turn is the most difficult thing for me to figure out. Um, so that is completely counterintuitive. Your left, your left footed turn, which is your good side. Yeah, is the most yeah. difficult turn because it puts your right leg into a more difficult position. And it's kind of like it's I get an A-framey going on. So like my left leg can get there, but then my right can't move in any, and anymore because my my hip, everything just won't like I don't have the um the neurological connection, I guess. So it's um, almost like your right leg is pushing you out of the turn while yeah. your while your left leg is trying to make the turn so it's, so your right leg is working against your your left leg yeah against the effort is that right yeah correct whereas yeah. okay so what about on the other side so when you're making on the, the turn, on the other side so on a right footer turn where the right ski is on the outside of the edge um i have that mobility but what has happened in the past is that because i'm just stronger on my left leg significantly that I end up being on the inside edge, which for you skiers out there, know that you need to be on the outside edge to maintain a solid carve the throughout the ski. entire turn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in Pyeongchang 2018, four gates from the bottom in the slalom, I lost my ski because I was on the inside edge. Because you were on the inside ski, right? So your left Correct. ski, you were on your left ski, mm -hmm. and then you hit that rut sideways mm -hmm. with your with your right ski and then and your ski popped off and correct was it you're within within sight of the finish yeah so how does it what about and giant slalom is the same as slalom and you run speed events as well right yep Re i recently in the past two years have learned to love speed and i can't get enough of it it's it's like a drug to me it's so fun <laughs> What makes it so much fun? Why, why do you love speed? That you feel out of control, that you, 
you know what you're doing is you're going to be in a safe place in a couple turns at the finish line, but the whole time you're trying to push what it means to be in control the whole way down. And if you feel comfortable, you're not going fast enough. You're not, you're not in a good spot. And then you do need to feel that pucker factor a little bit to, to feel that you are right on the edge of how fast you can be going. I just think there's something incredible about that. There's you're flying basically. I mean, other than skydiving, what's another like driving a car? Maybe it's like speed skiing is as close to flying and being free as you can get. Right. And you're going under your own power. There's nothing around you. You're not on a motorcycle. You're not in a car and you're exactly. going 60, 70 plus miles an hour. And it's just you on skis going for it. What do you consider your favorite event? Do you have a favorite? Probably Super G. Uh, we haven't done downhills in a couple years, um, but we raced quite a bit of Super G and trained a bunch of Super G this past season. And and every day I was just getting better and better every run. And I and I kept a notebook log of how I felt, my rate of perceived exertion at the bottom of every run. I was I was just really trying to hone in on how I felt and, and how I can improve and working those numbers back with video and talking with the coaches about like all these minute things is just like really helped me in the off season feel super focused and as prepared as I can be going into the season. So growing up, I mean, one of the things like being in Killington, you guys are lucky that you have, you have a world cup that comes through Killington. Yeah. You just had it just recently. What, like a week ago or two weeks ago? Yeah. It's the uh, weekend following Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah. Do you get a chance to see some of the people who are your heroes in skiing at that? Yeah. Event? I mean, it was when I was a kid, it was never a thing. It only started, I think, four or five years ago. Right. But, so I've been to the World Cup twice. Um, but my neighbor down the street is Chelsea Marshall, who went to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And so um, her dad is a ski instructor with my dad at Killington. Her mom was a swim coach at the local swim team next to mine. And so our paths as families would always cross. And so I think like you get to any ski area and you just cross paths with all these people that are way more influential than you, than you think could affect your life. And um, I think just treating those people as humans and not as superstars helps you create a real connection with them. And so that's a lot of the local people, right? So you see, you see yeah. a lot of people just in your local vicinity yeah. who, who are these huge people in the sport, but at the same time, they're your neighbor. They're your, they're the people you oh, see yeah. at the supermarket or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in terms of world cup, I, I sat in the VIP tent. I think one of the coolest things was um, I, I, my mom, she loves volunteering. She's like a mega fan of the world cup and I walked in and she goes, I walk over and I sit at a table. She goes, Spencer, can you come over here and, and take a picture with, with the mayor brothers? And I go, Mom, how would you get a, a picture with my friend here? And she and and she's like, okay, let's take a picture. And I get up to go walk over to go meet the mayor brothers. And she's like, who did I just take a picture with you with? And I was like, that's Andrew Weibrach. And she's like, who? I was like, I met him at the Team USA Awards. He's a really nice guy, super cool. And so like, I think that was a huge thing is having the Team USA Awards in DC following the, uh, uh, the games in Pyeongchang. 
I was able to meet all these people on the able-bodied side, all in one place from a ton of different sports and just have these normal conversations with them one-on-one as athletes without having a, the big smoke and mirrors around. What do they say, like a guy like Andrew Weibrach or somebody like that, what do they say about what you're doing? He's pretty, he's pretty straightforward. I, I asked him about all these races he's done and like what he thinks about like the games. And he's just like, it's just a ski race. It's just left and right and through gates. And it's like, you, you can easily overcomplicate it. He's like, you just got to remember the basics and everything else will just fall into place. I, and I really like that approach that you just, you got to remain calm and you just got to think about the things in the most simplest form. Is that an easy thing to do or is that one of the challenges? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. You're pretty and good I, at keeping it simple. And I've, gotten, I've gotten even better. Like I find myself every day finding a, a new reason just to like, I have the best job in the world. I don't have to sit behind a desk and people pay a lot of money to do what I do and not know how to do what I do. So I feel very fortunate with my upbringing uh, the people I surround myself with, my teammates, my coaches. It's its truly a great experience being on this team and getting to travel, see all these incredible places, meet all these cool people. You're traveling all over the place, but you're back home now, back in Vermont. Yeah, yeah. What's I'm going on with excited. that? So I, uh, I just graduated Boulder in May, and then I lived in the Olympic Training Center for the summer. I had a much needed two a days in the gym on the bike, just really getting focused physically. I really, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't do that. And I'm, I'm just so happy that I committed to that. Um, and then I looked at our schedule this year with world championships coming up right after new year's. And then the games coming up right after uh, we had over at the end of February, there were, it was very few days we were in the States. And one of my co I was talking to one of my coaches about it and he was like, yeah, when I was on the world cup circuit, he's like, I, I was 25. I moved home with my parents and he's like, how did my mom cook me meals, do my laundry, get some motherly love. He's like, that was the best thing ever. So the fact that I live in a mountain town and not having to pay some resort prices in Colorado for a place I never was going to live at. It just, it's so nice. And I haven't lived at home in five years. And it just, it brings me so much joy to be home in Killington area and, and really feel the community behind me as I embark, uh, go through all these endeavors. Now, part of that also is, is what's been going on with COVID as well, right? I mean, it's just, it's really hard to have, like your training blocks have been much bigger training blocks like two three week camps where you're mm -hmm. away from home for a long time mm -hmm. and so you're not even having that much time where you will train at home how much has and and obviously we'll get into your COVID date as well today which is a bit of a day uh, yep. we'll get into that but how much has have all of those all, all the protocols and everything how much has that changed the way that you approach the sport or what you're allowed to do uh, well, last year was the first season that we coexisted with COVID because when everything hit March of 2020, 
shut everything down. There was no trying to deal with it. We just, we waited till the next season. And then we had a camp with the team in October in Austria, making just ridiculous amount of testing that went on and just trying to um, make sure nobody got sick and whatnot. Um, I remember checking into um, a hotel, the Element Hotel in Basalt, Colorado. I checked in and she goes, so you'll be joining us for 17 nights? Sounds great. And I was in this room by myself because we couldn't have roommates. And then we went from there. Hold on, you were there for 17 nights? 17 nights. I mean, it was really hard to complain because we had Highlands all to ourselves for two weeks. And one of the days was a powder day where we got a foot and a half of snow all to ourselves as a team. So it was really incredible. But it was just a lot to think about that I'm sitting alone, eating all my meals, taking my finals at CU all online and just doing it all alone and not seeing anybody was a bit of a drag. I am a social person. I need social interaction to, to feel happy. And I remember a really low point in uh, Winter Park. We had to quarantine for five days before we had races. And the Element Hotel and, and Basalt, that had a full kitchen. So I had a ton of food and I was, wasn't worried about it. But this hotel in Winter Park had a microwave. So I had to get so creative. Did you know you can wrap a chicken sausage in bacon, cook it in the microwave, and then use peanut butter as a dipping sauce? It actually doesn't taste too bad. I'm telling you, it's actually pretty good. So just really trying to think outside the box. And um, But mentally, I was done. I went to my coaches, and I was like, I can't do another year of this. I don't care that the games are next year. I my my back I have, I have back issues I, I have two herniated discs in my back and I was in pretty good pain at that point and I was like I just don't see I just don't see me progressing any further and then I kind of went through the season had a lot of good results I got on the top pedestal on the podium a lot and it kind of boosted my confidence um uh, but I think the main thing, COVID or not, that has really helped me is when I did that six-week block at the Olympic Training Center, they have this massive American flag, like the biggest American flag I've ever seen other than the largest car dealerships in the world, and massive American flag in the gym, and looking at that every single day is just a re reinforcing drive to the reason that we're all here and the reason we are working so hard to achieve that gold medal and it just it gave me this overwhelming sense that I was not alone in this and that we actually are so strong as a nation putting these athletes out for the world to see. Do you bring that with you into the starting gate that thought of that gigantic flag and all these other people that you're getting a chance to represent? I proudly wear the American flag on my helmet that's yeah. it okay yeah it's just like i'm just so happy to to wear the united states of america on my back wear the american flag on my helmet because i think everyone should try in some capacity to represent their country whether it's in the military or in sport and just just try the best they can to to do what they can to because we live in an amazing country and and i think there's a lot of a lot of positives that i am so thankful for 
And I think that this is my way of showing my country that I am gonna do whatever I can to make sure that it's that it's our national anthem playing when the when the um and me standing on the top pedestal. I just that's all I want. Bring it home for the USA. So did that make today a little bit tougher? You're supposed to go to Switzerland to fly to Switzerland tomorrow. Correct. What what happened today? So for people that don't know, the East Coast is a little difficult to navigate with with flying in and out and being in Vermont, there's the Burlington Airport or my other option is Boston. And so I live an hour and a half away from the Burlington Airport. My mom kindly drove me up to the Burlington area where I'm staying with a friend currently. Um, and part of the USOPC protocol, we have to take a PCR test. And we got these little at-home kits that you put batteries in it and you do a swab and you put it in a tube and you wait 30 minutes and the light will show you positive or negative. And I'm sitting there, 30 minutes go by, my eyes just explode, it said positive. What, I have no symptoms, this, this is ridiculous, it's absurd. And uh, I immediately call our team manager, Jess Smith, and she thought I was joking. You're joking. Yeah, right. Yeah, I call you just to tell you the night before that I'm just joking with you. And then I go and I walk to an urgent care that's across the street and I'm halfway there only to get on the phone with them to realize that they don't have a PCR test that could get back to me in time that I could still make my flight tomorrow and get the results in time. So turned around, walked home. And then we have these other tests that are not PCR tests, but they're rapid tests. And I took one of those, they came back negative. So now I'm gonna go tomorrow morning before my flight. Luckily I have a, I board at three o'clock, super chill. Um, gonna go over at 8 a.m. and get tests and I really hope it was just a false positive because I, I don't know, I have no symptoms. So um, that would be best case scenario. Worst case scenario is I have to call my mom and she has to come pick me up because she drove me up to Burlington, drove all the way back home for me to call her and say, I just got a positive result. You have to come pick me up. For her to drive all the way back up. And then she was in the parking lot when I got the result of my second test saying negative. And Jess Smith on the phone saying, yeah, stay the night, shoot for that test in the morning. So moms are the best. They have such a thankless job. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. Like there's just so much that she, that woman has done for me, like driving me to the hospital for stitches because I was just running down the hall, having a time of my life. So shout out to moms everywhere. <laughs> It's not just the American flag. You're bringing mom into the starting gate with you. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think moving home, that's a sense of community that I really feel. And I haven't lived at home in a long time. And it's just going to be great. It's just going to be really good. And my both my grandmothers have spare bedrooms. I go visit them. I just, I can only see positives out of the situation. and. 
and just being able to be around for a couple weeks at a time and and still actively training and being focused and not going off and partying and and just representing the country to the best of my ability is what my intentions are anytime that I'm back in the states. So what's what's this trip tomorrow? What are you where are you supposed to go? So we fly into Zurich, Switzerland. We have um two days three days of training in davos switzerland and then we have two gs's two slums and then a team event in saint moritz i've been to switzerland this will be my eighth trip to switzerland in my life and um, i've never been to saint moritz and i've heard saint moritz is the glitziest of the glamiest of just the most everything Guess I'm going Christmas shopping there and buying the smallest trinkets and expecting to pay a fortune. <laughs> and so these are the first World Cups of the year, right? Uh, actually, the first World Cups just happened um, a few days ago, but we weren't planning to go. They were in a different location in Austria, and then they got switched to the current location that was much more favorable with snow conditions or whatnot, so... I'm not really sure, to be honest. I'm not too bummed about it because I know that we have a huge competition season ahead of us and I don't need to get burned out before we even get to the bulk of it. So, I mean, if we want to look at overall World Cup points, sure, but I'm not worried about World Cup points this year. I'm about worried about the games, worried about world champs. Well, that's it. You have world championships in January and then the Paralympics in March. So it's a big season. And plus with these, with these blocks, I mean, what you had, you're in Sasfe for two camps earlier this year, right? In, in August and, and October. Yeah. And Chris, it's the best snow I've ever skied in the summertime ever. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to make people jealous, but you should have been there. It was so, so good. Like you imagine the late February in Colorado, just in blue skies every day, perfect temperatures, and just the best snow that you could carve no problem, but wasn't too icy. And the track was in mint condition from run inspection all the way to run eight with no dents in the track. It was like, it was a dream. What is that like? Because the thing is, you're you're training in Sasfe, right? And it's not just you and your team who are training there. I mean, like everybody's there. I mean, all the like the World Cup guys and stuff like that. What is what is that like on all those courses? Mm, um, they just have more consistent quality form than para skiers overall i would say at least from a standing skier perspective um so being able to watch those guys those guys and essentially the same course shadowed right next to ours is extremely beneficial for us um you can see what movement pattern should i be doing how quickly should i be getting to that new edge so it's anything but a positive and it only makes you a better skier there was one day that we trained next to the able-bodied uh French women's team and that was it was on flats and just the rate at which they're at which they're able to create power was incredible and it was it really just like wanted 
it created all of us like we can do this we can push harder we can push harder and you get to the bottom you're totally gassed but that's the way it should be you should feel totally exhausted at the end of every single training that you do are you a visual learner do you learn by just trying to copy somebody else or how do you generally learn i think my movement patterns i don't really inspect the course to be honest i inspect like okay it's gonna be a little bit of a tricky section here but I just keep saying in my head, if I have these fundamentals that I'm working on and that I know, and if I nail, I'll do just fine. Um, that's what I really try to focus on that. I just, I need to be as consistent with what my moving patterns are. And I need to be, have active enthusiasm going down the hill that I know it's a timed event and I can get to the bottom as fast as possible. I think that's the best solution for me. Like in training and racing, just just knowing that I, I I need to be faster than what how fast I'm currently going, really helps. How do you balance those two? So so you're talking about the consistent movement patterns, mm -hmm. but then but then also being active, trying to trying to get down. So so sometimes it seems like those can be contradictory, right? The idea of of consistent movement patterns but then trying mm -hmm. to up the cadence of those movement patterns. And then you're, you're throwing in a little bit of spasticity in the mix as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, the discipline you're doing is what it really depends on. I think if you're doing giant slalom, that's one of those disciplines that if your quality of movement pattern is poor, you're not going to be going that fast. Whereas in slalom, it doesn't really matter how your movement pattern is. If you're going fast, it doesn't matter how you look because you're just getting, you're just throwing your body down the hill. Um, and in speed, it's a lot more of a methodical approach. You got to have, you just got to stand on the outside ski and just be in that arrow tuck the whole time. So I think it just depends on the discipline of how, of how much you're willing, how, per, how much percentage you're willing to commit to quality of movement pattern versus willingness just to huck it down the hill without having to worry about it so what's the what's the thought process for you in the starting gate right because it's different from training to yeah. racing so racing mm -hmm. what's the what's the thought process for you in the starting gate well i tell you what racing able-bodied races growing up and through high school I had never been more anxious in my life. I still attribute that to like the most anxious I've ever felt was standing in the starting race of an body race. Like the Paralympics have nothing on, on, the, on a, how I felt in the start of an able body race, which is just wild to me. And the second I started racing para, no issues. I never got that overwhelming sense that no matter how I finish, it's not going to be good because I get to the bottom. If I try hard enough, it could be good. So so this the nerves like, are not really there now. They're that you're not in the same way. It's it's more or less like in, in Pano this year, I think this year for me is a huge stepping stone because I'm way more physically tuned than I've been in years past. Um, in Pano this year, I tried something different completely with my warm-up. Instead of just doing a couple leg swings, talking to some friends with some other teams. I went off the deep end and I took my helmet off, put on a winter hat and put on noise canceling headphones. 
and I had a 45 minute warm-up at the top of every single race run the the point beyond where I was sweating and I got the core activated got um got the agility going I do I do this thing called fast feet slow arms so I'm jogging quickly in place while I'm slowly moving my arms that actually fires your nervous system that's a really good thing to help with spasticity um and so doing everything like a proper um set way really really helped me so my goal was to get in the start gate and feel like I want to rip somebody's head off and that was pretty much how I felt in the start gate for most of the runs is that I am so focused because my physical self is so activated and I just hadn't felt that consistently activated in years past and I'm excited to see how that activation can carry me through the whole season don't get me wrong at the end of every single race day I was I was asleep by like seven I was so exhausted because I was just trying to bring so much intensity to the warm-up as I could and I think it really helped for me yeah, I mean, it sounds like, but because that's that's like a forty-five minute workout that you're doing before you get into each race. And so, if you're running slalom and giant slalom, that means that you have ninety minutes of workouts for two runs that day. Yeah, yeah, feels great though. But it but it worked. What about the mental side for you? Does the physical side take over with the mental side as far as focus or? Or do you have to do the mental side as well to ensure that you're focused and doing what you're supposed to do? Good question. So to relate to that, when I was probably seven, eight gates from the bottom in Panorama, these races that we just had in the giant slalom, I was going through the course and I was like, eight gates from the bottom. I was like, wow, I'm starting to get a little fatigued. My right leg is starting to get a little bit spastic like and then my brain was like no not happening you're not quitting now and I was able to reinforce that and just push right through and I had no more issues at the bottom of the course so it was nice to see that my mental side has really been able to reinforce that my physical side can do it and can push through it um so that was really exciting and also working with our sports psychs on the team I work with uh our uh, sports psych, his name is Artur. He's worked with our team for quite a few years. And every conversation on Zoom or in person that I have with him, I always come out of the conversation just beating my chest like, I am the man. I am the most capable person for the job. And he really knows how to make you feel good about what you're doing and, and gently suggest all these plus ones that you can do to help improve yourself for the next race. And so, so you attribute this mental strength, this powering through the last few gates at the end of the race and panorama to working with the sports psychologist or, or is it a product of what you've done as well? Or how does that all shake out? I think our tour would always say that it was me that did the work, but I mean, it takes a village, right? And um, I, th I think having him just show me the way and, and um so this is this whole thing with plus ones. He he believes that all these drops in a bucket every day, if you drop a little more in the bucket and you try something new and you try something different, at the end of a year, you're going to have this big full bucket of water. 
And that's the way I've been trying to, to think about things. Like last night I took a yoga class. I never would have done that unless a friend texted me, hey, come take this yoga class. And just trying to think, what are these other things that my competition isn't thinking about that I'm, I'm all about, that I really need to, to make my life and, and kind of one-up the game and make it that much more competitive. How has it been going? You were up in Panorama. Those were the first races, right? So you're up in Canada. Those are NORAM races. Yep. Did you have a good start to the season? So we have four races. Um, we had a GS, two Super Gs, and a Swalm in that order. And I got a fifth, a fourth, a third, and a second. Yeah. In that order of races, so you're order, getting better order. and better. I, and I sent uh, a follow-up email at the end of the at the end of the camp to the coaches with like a little document of reflecting on my thoughts from the whole trip. And I just titled the email. I said, I don't need luck. I've got destiny on my side. And one of my coaches just responded, Yeah, with your trajectory, you shouldn't race until the games. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It sounds like the, the documentation part of it for you is a big deal. I mean, you're sending this email to your coaches, you're writing in your journal. Has that always been the case? How did that happen? It's something that our tour kind of pushed me on this past year. I felt that I wasn't getting the most out of every day. And he said, all right, break it down hour by hour and create this little X and Y. And you wake up in the morning. How do you feel right when you wake up? Uh, you go to breakfast. How do you feel? How did breakfast taste? Was it good? And you rated everything from one to a 10. And I didn't need to be over analytical about it. But over the course of a week, you have all these data points that you previously wouldn't have had. And so I tried to loop that back into my training runs. And just every run, I just log a number. So at the end of a week's camp, I have all these data points that is, whether it's info to the coaches or not, it's, it's how I felt. And it's, I know the competition doesn't do it. So it's just, it's that much more information that I can take and be like, well, in the third run two days ago, I remember that my boots were really hurting. So it kind of affected how I mentally was getting in the start. And so I, I need to, when I feel that, I need to take my boot off and just try to start again and settle down and, and give it another go. And so it's kind of given me these other outlets to, to rethink of, of, it's allowed me to reset basically at the bottom of every run. And it's, and that's huge because I, I definitely struggle with staying focused. Hence why I compete in a sport. I only need to focus for a, a minute. So if you, if you give that run a number, a grade, that lets you let go of that and so you don't obsess about the previous run and just move into the next run? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, look, that run was an 8.4. The last run was an 8.1. It feels 0.3 better because of this, because of turns 8, 9, and 10. Great. So let's try to work on turns 4, 5, and 6. And then it, I can, it can, I can see it breaking down in my head like so clearly. And I, I haven't had that clarity before. And so I think it's really helped me see the course in a much 
more um, segmented way. The ultimate goal is to be as prepared as possible at the most important time, right? Mm -hmm. Does this bring you in that direction, both with confidence, you know, building your confidence, and then also being able to effectively manufacture your your best run? Yeah, yeah, I think um, just all of it. The, I think the strength side is huge. I think I was so inflexible the past three seasons and I, I didn't really like going to the gym because the two times I herniated my discs were in the gym. So I was weary of that, but being at the training center for as long as I was and getting to a good place physically and, and really hunkering down on the mental side of things has really just made a significant impact in my life what will the season look like? So you've got world cups right before Christmas, then world championships after the new year. Yep. How, how are you, how do you kind of peak for two big events or how are you approaching it? Luckily we have like, I think we get back from world champs right at the beginning of February. And we have like two and a half weeks at the end of February that I plan to take like, four or five days off snow, get a good strength block in, try to rebuild back up. So then I can get another two weeks on snow, really solid training and be able to fall back on that, on that strength because we lose a lot of weight and a lot of muscle throughout the season because you get done with your training or racing at the end of the day and you're gassed, you're totally beat. Last thing you want to do is go at the gym because if you do, it's probably going to make you slower overall anyway. So that's why you gotta do so much work in the summer. Right, exactly. What are your what are your expectations? I mean, it sounds like you're going well. Yeah, I feel I just feel really confident with with um, the movement I've been making as a as an individual mentally, first of all. And I think having that physical side to back it up as well. Um, I haven't felt this confident about my position in the sport ever. So that's, that's super exciting. I, I feel, feel like a professional and I haven't felt that in years past. And I joined the team in May of 2017. And this is the first season that I, as long as the rest, as well as the rest of the team, I really feel that we are holding ourselves accountable to being professionals. And it's really showing. And our coach, Tony McAllister is constantly reinforcing the fact that we're 24 seven athletes. Just because you go home and nobody's looking at you doesn't mean you can just get away with whatever you want. You are your best coach and you are going to hold yourself accountable. And whether or not you show up on race day, ready to race is it's on you. So it sounds like a lot of these things are all coming together. And what Tony's saying to you that you're 24 seven, you're talking about your plus one every, every day, adding, adding something new that, that is going to be cumulative what's what's your role in in creating this i mean you've got the sports psych guy you've got the you've got the coach how are you because ultimately you're the one going through the starting gate right Mm -hmm. i have one reinforcing goal that's consistency driven by routine 
and going to the gym every day in the springs, having the same time at the gym every single day, coming back, having lunch, doing mobility for two hours, just keeping that routine going is going to be so key for me throughout the whole season because I'll be really great for a couple of weeks and work my butt off and then in years past and then sit around and do nothing for a couple of weeks and just expect that working my butt off in a few weeks after that will be fine and it all it all just comes out in the wash when it's I'm the one not holding myself accountable for my own actions and so you have to show up every single day so this is consistency consistency uh what is it driven by by routine pushing? by routine by routine a routine okay okay perfect yeah a routine yeah yeah it's the routine what do you do so routine to me is one of those things it's so much on race day right that mm -hmm. like what is your routine how do you how do you, how do you feel prepared on race day so for you what is what is your routine how are you how do you get into that starting gate whether it's a, a you know a little race or a big race mm. how do you get into that starting gate and feel prepared um I really found that listening to music this year throughout my whole morning really helped. And, and some of my teammates, to? some of my teammates, this is, this is, this will be funny. They, they think I'm kind of going through a manic episode with this one artist I've been listening to the whole Spotify does their rap thing. And I'm the 0.1% of listeners for this one artist. And it's Kanye West. I've just fallen off the deep end with him and, I don't necessarily agree with who he is as a person, but his music has really connected with me in the past few months to a point that it's significantly influenced how I train, how I, how I live and breathe pretty much. And, and he released a new album like a month and a half ago that I've listened to pretty consistently, including today, from beginning to end, just every day, just hour and 48 minutes long. And I really enjoy just, making it a part of my day calms me down it revs me up whatever my mood needs to be this album really just filled a gap and I'm, I'm so thankful that I have this this medium in my life that I can utilize to get me to where I need to be so it's Kanye West that is that is showing you the path is that the way it sure works is. sure is <laughs> how did you get into him barstool sports on instagram uh thomas walsh is texting me dude kanye really <laughs> i don't know i don't know i i would feel like i i'd be robbing him if i didn't bring him up but barstool sports on instagram made a post what one album can you listen to beginning to end and top comment was graduation by kanye west and so i listened to that one a bunch got crazed by it and then uh, soon thereafter, I was like, well, I got to learn more about this guy. So I downloaded this playlist, every Kanye album in chronological order. It's 10 and a half hours long. And I just set it on loop. And my roommate in Colorado Springs, Andrew Harrigy, exhausted by the amount of Kanye West, I would blast in the room, just totally done with it. Um, I don't know. It's just like it's, every song to me is like, oh, my God, he's brilliant such a forward thinker he's a visionary so okay 
so I'm trying to I'm trying to construct the character here, right? Your yeah. character. So we've got so we've got Kanye West who is who is leading the charge, who is showing you where to go. You have a, a, a quote that uh, what did you say? Um, Work hard in silence and let success make the noise. Yeah, I've, that one's been since the beginning of high school. That one's been a really big one for me. Okay. And I think. Well, I've got one more thing now. Yeah. So, so also, and I noticed this, and I don't know if this was a choice or not. So like when you're training with the U.S. team, when you're stripped down, you have your bibs, you know, just your U.S. team bib, and you have number 13. Was that your choice or was that something that was arbitrary? That was a random, a random pick that okay. if there was any number that I could have chose out of the ones that were given to the whole team, 13, lucky number 13. I, 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 I think it's just, it's, it fits me and it just, it makes me it, misfit. I don't know. Like I often get called in the, in the para world, a mother faker, which is just to play that my disability isn't as effective. It doesn't affect me nearly as severely as some, most of the other athletes on the circuit. So um, what do they call you? I didn't catch that. They call me a mother faker. <laughs> a mother faker. Sure do. <laughs> a mother faker. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's good yeah. to be able to articulate, you know, to enunciate there so that you're not a, so a mother faker. All right. Yep. Yep. Faker with an A. Okay. All right. <laughs> so this is, so, so, so you've got the mother faker, you've got Kanye, you've got, you've got, you know, the work hard and silence and let your success make the noise. You've got number 13. How do they, how do they all fit together? I sleep really well at night. Okay. I it just, I have no regrets when I, when I, when I go to sleep, I'm just so happy with who I am and, and people that know me know I'm a super upbeat, positive guy. I really don't let things bring me down. And when something is bringing me down, I wear that on my sleeve. So it's pretty noticeable when something is going wrong in my life and I just, I try to make people aware about it. I try to just like use that community who is so helpful to help me get through things. Um, so I'm just, I'm always able to just be so communicative with the people around me. And um, like, and when I work hard in silence, I guess it's more or less like a, a social thing. I've been more or less getting more into social media recently, but I've been, I, not a huge fan of it because I believe that you should you should just be working your butt off the whole time instead of constantly posting that you're at the gym every day and you're doing all this because then you're just letting the competition know that you're working whereas you could just they could think you're going to be the same as you were last year and you could show up next year and whoop them cut them all into mincemeat and show them who's boss so I'd much rather have that impression than have them anticipating and wanting to be better. So does this mindset, this mindset of being an upbeat guy, does that, is that just naturally who you are? Is it who you've always been? Is it something that you get from your family, from your parents, from both my parents worked in the service industry and in the hospitality industry my whole life. And that you, you need to be, you just need to be social. You need to be able to smile and talk to people, be polite, 
to your peers, the ones around you. And um, if you show people respect, they're just going to give it right back. And I think that's a, a great way to live life and um, kill them with kindness. Another big one that I, I really enjoy. Um, and we're our worst critics. And sometimes I feel that I'm not being the best person. And I'll just like, one of my, I think one of my biggest strong suits, Chris, is being able to apologize and and have a sincere apology when I when I am at fault or say something wrong. I can go up to somebody and, and actually apologize for something and have it be sincere because it just it's it's what needs to happen. Um, so I think that's another big thing that I have going for me that I'm always going to carry through life. So you're okay with effectively like being able to admit that you were wrong and yeah. move forward from that. I mean, there's no room for growth if you're never going to admit that you were wrong. Um, if you're always the best, you're never going to see where your wrongdoings are. That makes sense. So what's going to, what's going to surprise us? What that you're going to do this year? What will surprise those of us who've watched you, people who've known you for your whole life, you know, any surprises so, coming out? In 2019, uh, I won the para-alpine skiing moment of the year because I got uh, a rookie haircut uh, on my birthday for the night slalom Zagreb where I got on the podium. It was the day slalom, the day after my bed. And um, I, I really channeled that energy of that haircut and... Okay, you've got to describe this rookie haircut. I mean, you can't just say okay, it was a haircut. So if you look at my head right now, imagine somebody took a buzzer right down the middle and then right down the side. So I had these two luffs of hair all the way down. It's kind of like a reverse mohawk a little bit. And who, um, who gave you the haircut? The one and only teammate of Thomas Walsh. Um, yeah, proudly. I, I, I loved it. And to me, it really, it was a sense of earning who I needed to be as an athlete. It had nothing to do with earning my place in the team, but showing myself that I can, if I can overcome this and get that goal of getting on the podium so I can buzz my head and have it the rookie cut be gone, that I can do anything. And I did. And I got it buzzed off. And it was just such a good feeling. Oh my gosh, it felt great. So things to look for this year, maybe wild haircut could be in the cards. I don't know. Maybe something to, to take that, take that edge to a whole new level. And, and so in 2019, that was your, your first race on, on the world cup, on the para world cup. That was my first world cup race on the national team. Yeah, I had done one in Aspen, but I wasn't on the national team at that time. Okay. So you were on the national team and it was your birthday as well. Yeah. And your first podium. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, the stars aligned and it was, it was epic. I, I got to the bottom. I'd never been so happy at the bottom of the race because I knew that I had, I had worked my butt off to get there. And, and I was just seeing that light be green at the bottom of the second round was just so exciting. And the fact we're on an able-bodied World Cup hill, that's one of the few hills that we actually race on that the able-bodied guys do. So I felt like it was a deserving podium. I was just so overwhelmed with it. Can 
can, can you ski fast without having a crazy haircut? This year so far, yes. Okay. But with this mentality that I have now, maybe that haircut is the plus one that I need. So I don't know. It's, don't, you know, you might have to figure out if you can get on Thomas's schedule. I don't know what his <laughs> schedule is like. He's a busy his, guy when he's not interviewing Steve Nyman or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. His hairdressing <laughs> schedule, in addition to making Stephen Nyman cry on, on national television, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> which, was a, which was absolutely a tremendous moment. Fantastic. I love that. It was great for them. Great for both of our sports and great brand advocacy. Yeah. Yeah, which was great. And I guess we'll have to explain that when when Thomas was sick with cancer, Stephen Nyman gave him one of his bibs. Stephen, who's one of the best downhillers on the on the able-bodied team, who was racing at Birds of Prey. And then Thomas returned the favor and gave him one of his bibs. And uh, it really was a cool moment. And, and like you were saying, when you got a chance to go to D.C. and got a chance to meet some of the other athletes, the Olympic athletes, the there really is a tremendous amount of respect between the athletes to so respect ad admiration and, and, and it really is. I mean, it's just like, you're on the same team, which, which to me is, yeah, is we all part. represent the same country. That's what it comes down to. Well, this is absolutely awesome. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us here. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future or in the rest of the year i'll be on the microphone so hopefully you'll get a chance to ski fast and i can i can be excited about talking about that so thanks for joining us thank you chris appreciate it good luck to you thank you all for joining us i hope you had a great time i hope you enjoyed it as usual if you didn't get a chance to see the whole interview you can go to the one revolution page on facebook it will be archived there we will also edit this and release it as a regular podcast on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Please, if you enjoy what we do, tell your friends, like us, follow us. That's the greatest compliment you can give us. We'll see you next time. Thanks a ton. Take care. Ski fast. Thank you. Thank you.